Okay. Today, my guest is Professor Crystal Jiang. Uh, I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with her. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Crystal as a person. Professor Jiang is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of her accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Jiang is an executive board member for the AIB Northeast chapter and serves as its president. Her research is on political networking strategy, corporate entrepreneurship on emerging economy firms, and knowledge management of MNCs. Her research has appeared in the top-ranked management and international business journals. She has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Associated Press, Providence Business News, as well as in the NPR. Crystal uh, served as an executive board member of the Women in the Academy of International Management, is an active member of the AOM, AIB, and Asia Academy of Management. Uh, Jiang was a past chair for Caucus Committee, AOM Conference, and she's an associate editor for the New England Journal of Entrepreneurship. Thank you, Crystal, for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. First question, what did you want to become when you were a child? I love this question. Uh, when I was a child, I always wanted to be a writer. Hmm. I think that happened when in the third grade, one of my small piece won the regional computation award. Yeah. So I thought I could write and I love fictional writing. So I started writing small pieces during the break. I would read my pieces to my fellow classmates. I got very encouraged until middle school. I think uh, middle school, I still write, but I didn't have time to write much. It's very much, you know, for, for Chinese, it's really have to study hard for college entrance exam. Mm -hmm. So I started writing after my middle school. Uh, back then, I loved reading those writers who wrote stories which is in, involving intelligence and characters about love, about family, friendship, which is fascinated by writing. So I want to be a writer when I was little. Well, what about now? Do you write? Other than academic stuff. Yes, I write. I mean, I, I, I envy our colleagues who can write so much, like Ram Mudambi, who has written so many novels. I follow him, and many followers follow him. I wish I could write much more than academics, uh, but I'm going to after I retire. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And uh, do, do you write in Chinese? Well, uh, I do both. Actually, uh, I feel much more comfortable in English, even though for both novels, I read in two languages. I recently read The Three Bodies. I start with English. Afterwards, I read a Chinese original version. I, I find it's more authentic to write, to read in original language. So okay. uh, good point. I may write an English novel, uh, but with some Chinese version of, as well. Perfect. Okay, uh, earliest moment of awareness between domestic versus foreign. I, I love this question a lot. Actually, this question makes me think about my, my childhood, my hometown, Qingdao, where I grew up. So Qingdao is a coastal city. If you know uh, China between Shanghai and Beijing is coastal mm -hmm. city. And Qingdao has Qingdao beer, which is very well known, a very proud export to the rest of the world. So Qingdao beer was a joint venture. I researched about it when I was in Qingdao, joint between German and, and German and British German shows formed in 1903. So I double checked the, 
the, the citation. It's the best known Chinese export beer. And we have a beer festival every year in August, two weeks with you no, know, we talk about beer testing, beer tasting, food festivals, music festivals, gala, it's a carnival. We welcome vendors from 400 different breweries. And the first taste of international was through beer. Well, I don't drink alcohol, but I love the festival where you see Koreans dancing at the gala. You taste, you see the vendors from British beer to German beer to American beer, right? So that's actually one of the bad part of German uh, occupation of Qingdao. It's very, you know, it's really about 1898 uh, to 1914. We were colonized by Germany very briefly, but they did bring German brewing technique to my hometown. So that's my first taste of international. It's through beer. We call it a liquid bread. You go to Qingdao, you'll see people carry a bag of beer, use a plastic bag, and they, they, they taste it pretty much every day. So it won't be surprised you go to KFC, you see fried chicken and beer. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Perfect. So uh, how did you choose uh, academia? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, people just assume that I prepared for academia. I was not. <laughs> I used to work for a uh, foreign economic trade committee in China. So in China, I work with MNCs. Uh, the committee's role to helping businesses locate to China, either wholly owned acquisition, joint venture. So I have the luxury of working with executives from all over the world, pretty much, you know, the, the, you know, the British, the American companies, the Japanese companies, the Koreans, Australians, the Germans. And I never thought about becoming a professor. So it's really happened by accident. Uh, I would say, uh, I say nicely to say pursue of love and happiness. My boyfriend back then, and now my husband, and we were dating long distance. And one day he called me, he said, why do you move down to Philadelphia? I'm like, yeah, this is a great job. I got paid six figure. I'm very happy to be, you know, on my elevator path to be a senior executives. But also I thought about, you know, what is life for? I need to pursue my happiness. I quit my job. I took my luggages and, and then went to Philadelphia. So I thought I will be, yeah, in, in businesses, I was looking for men and financials where intern worked and loved as market analyst. And one day he said, uh, you know, Crystal, you know, why don't you join the PC program at Temple Fox School of Business? I'm like, really? I don't think I can be a professor. I will earn my MBA. I love marketing, but I don't think I'm a professor. And I don't have the rigorous mentality to become a professor, you know, a professor who is really serious in research and serious in everything. I'm not a serious person, but he's very smart. So he brought a newspaper, said, read this. This was published by the top-notch best IB faculty at Fox School. I read it. I loved it. I'm like, oh my gosh. I didn't know that professor can write such amazing stories about <laughs> outsourcing and its impact on businesses. Guess what? It was written by Mike Kutabi. Hmm. So I was intrigued and fascinated by his work and how applicable it is to businesses, to policymakers, and just to, to be able to understand by a regular person, 
So I wrote him email. And Mike was super kind and nice. You probably know Mike. Everyone know Mike. Uh, he's very hardworking, but also super nice. He he spent time to met with me for half an hour, and that's it. Thirty minutes. It changed my life profoundly to become a professor. So after I met with him in his office, in the back then was the old Fox schools to be in the in the old building, but now they have a fa fancy, amazing Fox school building. So uh, after half an hour, I thought, I said, I could be like him. I could be a professor. I could talk intelligently. I can do research. I can have impact. And I can teach, uh, which is something I really, really young for. And then I, I applied. I joined. And I'm forever grateful that he took me as his doctor student. So he brought me to the career. I feel like he's like my father, academic father who brought me to this path. Perfect. Um, but if you stop doing what you're doing today, what, what's, what, what's the next best thing? What's the second best alternative career path for you? Or second best thing for me to pursue in my life? After PhD. Uh, you know, after academia, I mean, for me, I think I always, to me, it's all about living an artful life. But you no, know, to me, it's about really living a good life, healthy, spiritual, and meaningful life. Mm -hmm. So I always think about what Mike told me about being a great person, being a great teacher, being a serious scholar, and also live a happy life. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that's fundamentally important that I learned so much from my advisor about how can I live a meaningful life in so many different facets, right? Not just writing paper, not just in the classroom, not just in my community, but in everywhere I am, I feel fulfilled and I feel meaningful. Perfect. Uh, regrets, have you got any regrets in life? Uh, well, I wish I learned to play instruments. I had the opportunity because my father was a musician. He passed away when I was in my twenties and I should have learned instruments with him because music is so powerful. Music bring people together. Uh, I'm a big fan of Yuyo Ma, for example, I follow his path, I listen to his music, I went to his concert and he said, art is not for the art's sake. It's a construct, it's a concept, it's a theory. I want to make it visible. I want to make it audible. I want to make it tactile. I want to make it feel. I want to bring people together. I want to bring hope to people who are hopeless. I want to bring spiritual nutrition to people who are desperate. I want to bridge the differences and I want to bring communication, bring dialogue among people regardless of the nationality, the dialects, the ethnicity, and their social status. So I thought like if I have the chance, I should be a musician. I should be able to use the music as another powerful tool, like words to bring people together, to bring synergy, to bring hope to people. Very nice. That was very nice. Uh, last question for the personal segment. What are you most passionate about other than music and writing? What's the next best thing for you? 
was best thing for me? Well, uh, I always care about the communities. I think I care about communities. Uh, after I received my tenure, I asked myself over and over, what do you need, Crystal? You receive a tenure, you're very happy. You know, brand is a great place. You live in a very vibrant community. So I thought about, I care about in my community where I work, which is Bryant University. We have an amazing community at Bryant. I care about community where I reside, which is the Worcester Cluster. I care about my community as AIB, my profession. I always feel about it's always great to be a vibrant member where you are. So at Bryant, for example, I mentor students and I, I give back to junior faculty. I involve into different projects and different committees. I want to be a part of the, the changing agent to bring mm -hmm. good to our students who can be a sensible, responsible business leaders. So at my community, I mentioned that I'm a volunteer to hosting conference this weekend, two days. We welcome a hundred people from the whole region. So hundred people who are from different background, different social status, different religious background. We're gonna talk about humanity, talk about what brings a vibrant community, what is our role involved to building community where we can all progress physically, spiritually, and socially uh, as a vibrant community. Of course, I'm an AIB person. I joined AIB conference the first year when I was a first year student and, and never skipped AIB. I love AIB. Uh, I was very fortunate to bring to AIB Northeast by Muhammad Alahi. If you, if you ask AIB Northeast, everybody is his friend. He is AIB Northeast, the central figure for our network. So I, I just feel amazed at the opportunity to work with like Muhammad, like Margaret Garoski, my predecessors, chapter chairs, who care about the community, bringing scholars. We have the A-list journal editors. We have the most talented scholars. We have doctor students, we have undergrad students. We have business leaders, policymakers, all joining us for the annual conference, for symposium, to create a dialogue about what's important. We have a meaningful conversation every year at the conferences. I feel grateful that we have those communities that make me feel always revived, energized, and renewed every year from AIB Northeast to AIB, from where I live to where I work. So I think that to me is very important in life. Perfect. Uh, Crystal, about research, how do you explain uh, what you do and the importance of your research to uh, people who are uh, not uh, academics, who are laymen, uh, who are in, in, again in, in a community, but obviously um, not academics, scholars. Yes. Uh, well, uh, because I came from China and because I have the background of working as government official to help many multinational businesses either enter into China succeeding in China or work with Chinese companies. So I'm very, very fascinated by Chinese firms evolution, how they become a global player, what brought them to the global marketplace. So my research has really centered on 
emerging market firms, like firms from China, India, Russia, Brazil. Now we talk about the new emerging market firms from so many countries, look at what make them innovative, what's the factors make them have achieved superior innovation performance. So I care about that. So I would talk to people about innovation performance of firms. Uh, what about the culture, the political networking, capability building, everything centered about innovation performance. I think that matters so much. We care about all the companies who had tech nowadays, they all talk about innovation day by day. Mm -hmm. About um, things that we should have covered more of, things that we have omitted, neglected uh, contexts or concepts in IB research. Uh, what's your prediction about uh, use of these forgotten areas that will be important for the next five to 10 years in the, in the field? What will yeah. those things be? So you have two questions here. What's been omitted for IB research? And the next five to 10 years of yes, research. Yes, I think, I think what's been omitted has been changed because in the last three years, change is the only constant that we see. The change due to the pandemic, change due to the global supply chain crisis, change due to the, the Ukraine war. I think there's so many changes happening. There's so much ambiguity and uncertainty for companies, for local businesses, for, for regional and national uh, you know, uh, environment. I feel we have been omitting about change and uncertainty. We've been we have been so static to some extent. Uh, we have always look at firm sustainability. What about NATO sustainability? What about Asian sustainability? What about you know UN? We have so many, there's so many layers that we haven't peeled it to the core. I think that's something we should pay attention to. I think next five to 10 years, um, what's the big thing? The companies look at big data. They've been very data-driven, algorithm data-driven, look at different data to predict consumers' behavior. Look at what do the people want? What do they need? How do we really drive the trend and serve their will? I think we, we, we can do much more by multidisciplinary, multi-level collaboration, multi-stakeholder perspective, for example, not just the businesses, but talking to community leaders, talking to policymakers, talking to uh, different stakeholders about what we're researching about. Uh, the other thing I felt really interesting is that we've been so focused on globalization. Uh, I'm a Chinese, so there's a Chinese saying that the land divided shall be united, the land united shall be divided. That's the way of universe. So we see so much about globalization, but now we see the trend of localization. We see the benefits of localization. We look at just in time doesn't work during the pandemic. We see just in case, we say really commonly cannot be only driving efficiency driven, but has to look at how can I achieve my goals in a safe way. So I feel like there's a lot we haven't taken a look, maybe that could be the trend for the next five years about, let's look at it through multiple lenses than just the 
globalization lens, right? So there might be different lenses by different view, but that's based on two data has to be very objective, data objectivity and timing sensitivity. I think we cannot look at just the firms cross-sectional uh, because that may have some data biases, maybe accounting standards and financial practices vary from country to country, uh, industry to industry. And also uh, if you use primary data, maybe self-response biases, right? Mm. So I think we need to look at uh, what business is doing, like really data-driven, big data, various data to, to really showcase about the real situation with the view of multi-level analysis, multidisciplinary, multiple stakeholder perspective. That's my personal view. I think we cannot look at single framework, single theory, single data set and single view that may becoming uh, obsolete. Okay, this was helpful. So about creativity in research, how do we come up with, how do you uh, think about interesting topics? Uh, do, do you write every day? Do, do you work every day? Well, uh, research every day, I don't read yeah. every day. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I work every day, but I work in different uh, mentality. Uh, I read Wall Street Journal every day. That's my uh, daily routines. Uh, I, I try to read one or two pieces, but I don't read just jibs. I try to read journal finance, journal marketing. I, I read uh, different journals. I always feel inspired by reading a different field. Uh, got really inspired by looking at, for example, recently I look at resilience theory look at how that is applicable to us, to the IB field. It's very OB uh, theory, resilient theory. Uh, it's not what we care about, but I was fascinated by other discipline where they bring different angles to inter inter really interpret what we're doing from a human perspective. Okay, so about creativity in research, are you saying uh, creativity comes from reading other fields? Is that what, uh, what you're saying? Well, it's more of um, you, you, you really storytelling. You look at this aha moment. What, how does this explain this phenomena, right? It has to be really interesting. It has to be uh, providing uh, manager implications to managers. It can be a guidebook. It is not just a theory, not just a, a paper, but has to be meaningful. So for example, David Teeth, a really amazing scholar. You know, his framework shaped our innovation strategies and research in the field. Uh, it's very creative. Uh, it's, 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 explained, it's really explained the phenomenon very well. And I think it's applicable to academia, to businesses, to small businesses. Uh, I, I think that's creative in scholarship. It's not just writing a paper, but paper with a real impact and paper really uh, make people feel excited about. So excited about not just by us. I think that's a self-fulfilling processes, but also excited by business people, excited by maybe other field to say, I love it. It's it's darn interesting. Mm. That's Mike's word and it's exciting. Okay. Um, for the sake of time, I want to go into the advice, the mentoring uh, section, obviously, I mean, you mentioned Mike Kotabe. Uh, I mean, you learned from one of the 
top people in the in the field, uh, one of our top uh, colleagues. Uh, what do you wish you had known when you were starting out that would save you so much time, pain, and agony? Uh, mm. Well. I wish I'd known that there's a life cycle, product life cycle of journals and, and, and research. So research have a life cycle. You know, some research is emerging, some is growing, some is research maturity, some has declined. When I start up research, when I read the journals, I got excited, fascinated, and started to write my seminar paper without understanding that that topic area has reached its maturity that's has already declined that means that difficult to publish so for fresh new students uh, i wish they, they look at the life cycle for the life cycle of research look at whatever topic we're at you want to be you really uh, jump on the wave swimming with the wave or something emerging something exciting something uh, fascinating then going to a research stream which is declining, which is lost its interest readers, which means they're hard to publish. That is something I wish I've learned uh, and know when in the early years of my research. How do you deal with rejection? Rejection? Mm. Oh, I think it's not bad. You can move on to the next phase. You're too Every paper has its home. I think every person's is home. If cannot publish in a journals, there are only such a handful few. What about something in the B plus journals? I publish in journals, I feel they're not A, but they have the best citations. They're most, that's something I'm very proud of. I can share with many people. So I think you, every paper has its own home. Like I said, you can find what's a good fit. If it got rejected, maybe it's not a good fit. Maybe you didn't do a good job writing it. Maybe methodology has its flaws. And sometimes you cannot hide it. You shouldn't hide it, right? Some flaws, you should acknowledge that and try to think about the best way to triangulate to make it a good paper. I think the market is very efficient. A good paper will go to a good journal. Right. Um, about common mistakes that you see across PhD students, and junior faculty before tenure. Uh, what are some of these common mistakes that you see across the board? Yeah, uh, well, we all make those mistakes. I think the common mistake is that you focus too much on model development. You focus too much on reading just academic journals. I would encourage everybody read different type of paper, read Economist, read New York Times, read Wall Street Journal, and have a dialogue, read Exactly's uh, presentation, and maybe uh, follow some of their blogs, some of their YouTube channels, try to be open-minded because most ideas might come from the conversation you had or the exactly talk from a presentation or maybe from a journal. There's so many things out there, look at what's happening so that it can drive your ideas from what's, what's really interesting to them to your, to your paper development. I think it's really a mistake to look at model development without looking at managerial implication. It's also a bad idea to say, I have this data, let me run it. Let me run data to see what's significant, write paper about it. That's 
not a good paper, first of all. And second now, that it won't excite you because you're very purposeful driven, then getting excited in the processes by being part of this, I would say, kind of get yourself excited, right? Of whatever you do, you cannot say when publish for the published per se. True, that's right. Uh, for the sake of time, my last question. Um, what's the question that I should have asked you but haven't? Well, uh, I think we are fortunate to be IB scholars. We are very lucky to have AIB World, to have AIB regional chapters, to have amazing scholars to work with. I'm fortunate to work with amazing scholars in the AIB Northeast, uh, AIB. Uh, so made amazing friends. I think many of those friends are lifelong friends. I think we are fortunate to be in this profession. I would encourage everybody to think about, enjoy being IB scholar, IB uh, teacher, to be a IB community contributor. So just forever grateful for like really able to work with wonderful people. Perfect, that was very nice. Yeah. Very positive. Thank you so much, uh, Christopher. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation a lot. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, August.